0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations.
1: You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Last night, my my wife went out to eat dinner. And uh, while she was gone, I cut my son's hair all off. And I don't know if the last time you saw Jackson, but his hair was like basically as long as Julie's. And now it's
2: what less than really? A,
1: yeah, almost. Um, it's probably seven seven inches. And has uh, long. Now it's less than an inch.
2: And what did your wife say when she saw it?
1: She cried. I filmed
2: it. It's hilarious. Josh, <laughs> <laughs> you cut your son's hair without telling your wife. You filmed it, and she cried.
1: Yeah. Wait, it was to great. be
3: fair, they've been talking about this for a long time.
1: Yeah, it wasn't like a total surprise. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the URLC podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the URLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me in the virtual studio today are my co hosts. We'll start with Julie Massant.
2: Good morning from snowy Kansas City. Is it really snowy there? Yeah.
1: How much did you guys get?
2: We don't have a lot. I want more, but it's snowy here.
1: And next up, we have Megan Smith, the podcast ninja. Hello there. Always a quaint hello from Megan and guys. I'm so excited to talk to Brent Leatherwood. What's up, man?
4: I mean, I'm, I'm always excited to talk to you, Josh, as well as you, Megan and Julie. Well, now, I live in a per- perpetual state of excitement. Perpetual state of excitement. I like it.
1: So it's going to be a fun uh, show today. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, Julie's going to give us one more time that ERLC content rundown and look at some of the feedback we've gotten this week. Uh, we are going to later in the show talk to our colleague Chelsea Soblick who is uh, no stranger to the podcast, and she is in our DC office and is going to update us on all of the uh, all things pro life
4: that the RLC has been doing recently. Uh, Josh, I noticed in your your opening there, you said Julie's going to do this for us one more time. What? Wh- why is that? Is there a is there a development? Well, the good
1: news is, for all these podcast listeners, that um, Lindsay, while still on the vacation we joked about, she is ready to come back to the podcast. Uh, I actually talked to her yesterday, and so she's going to be back with us next week, which is really exciting. There you go. There you have it.
2: I get one more week.
1: So, uh, big times on the podcast. Excited to welcome Lindsay back next week, but very excited about today's show as well. Uh, We will get to that conversation with Chelsea later on in the episode, but for now, Julie... Tell us what's going on with the ERLC this week.
2: All right. I will do one more review of what the ERLC has been sharing on our social media platforms, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay. We're going to start with Facebook. So on Tuesday of this week, we shared this post, and it reads, This morning, Russell Moore sent a letter to congressional leadership advocating for keeping pro-life protections like the Hyde Amendment in our federal budget. By the end of the day, the D.C. team had delivered the letter to all 535 offices in the House and Senate, ensuring that lawmakers know Southern Baptists are unwaveringly pro-life and that these protections save lives and protect consciences. And J.D. and Lori T. said, thank you, Dr. Moore and ERLC team for advocating for the values of SBC congregations. Jerry C. said, thank you, Dr. Moore, for advocating for the protection of all life. And those comments really made me happy because this was the focus of our past week. And it's always a focus of the ERLC, but there were some particular things happening in D.C. that warranted us speaking up about life.
1: Julie, I'm really glad that you highlighted that because... It's one of those things where, thanks to you and your team, we get to let the public know about this kind of what is often behind-the-scenes work that we're doing in terms of interfacing with uh, both the White House and with Congress. And so this is one of those ways that we are communicating the positions of Southern Baptists and advocating for the things that Southern Baptists believe uh, right there in DC and honestly I was shocked uh, big shout out to uh, JD and Lori uh, who are real fans of the podcast and also I mean I was just shocked by the, the response to this guy because people having seen this you know they were responding to uh, the news that we had done this and, and they, they seemed to demonstrate a lot more interest than I was anticipating which was just really encouraging to me to know that people really do like they're excited about the work that we're doing.
4: And I talked with um, Travis Wusso, who heads up our our team in D.C., and he was just talking about the the great response that we actually got from members of Congress with this letter. So, uh, you know, folks who follow us, they may know that we routinely send letters that are important to Southern Baptists, to the members of leadership on Capitol Hill, and just every day – uh, members of Congress, and um, this is an important part of our strategy in communicating uh, what it is that Southern Baptists have spoken to, either in the Baptist Faith and Message or through SBC resolutions. Uh, but it was it was really encouraging, uh, not only the response that we saw when we shared this news publicly, but also the response that we got from uh, members of Congress on Capitol Hill.
2: Yeah, and in that same vein, we also shared an explainer about the Hyde Amendment, which we just talked about a little bit. And I'm going to have Josh go into more detail about that. But this is what we shared in our Facebook post about the explainer. Policies like these are still needed today. Preventing taxpayer dollars from abortion protects consciences, save lives, and respects the freedom of Americans to seek to persuade one another without state-sanctioned conscience intrusion. Every person is made in the image of God, and the United States has a responsibility to reflect that truth in its laws. Josh, can you give us some background on the Hyde Amendment?
1: Sure. I think it'll be important to note that we're recording this on Thursday and we actually just published a piece uh, called Five uh, Pro-Life Writers" uh, that are these riders that are attached to different bills that are making their way through Congress that that are specifically there to protect consciences so that people aren't uh, complicit or u- that taxpayer funds aren't used to pay for abortions. And so the Hyde Amendment is one of those riders. It has been around, I think, since the 1960s, and it's attached to appropriations bills, which basically are uh, the legislation that Congress uses to to fund all the things that the federal government does, they they have to pass these uh, appropriations bills annually. And as they're doing that, the Hyde Amendment protects or or prohibits the use of these federal funds that are you know generated through taxpayer revenues or taxpayer dollars from going to fund abortions or to promote abortion, like pro-choice ideology. And so that's a really important thing that the Hyde Amendment does. And it's something that uh, has been enjoyed bipartisan support for decades. It is under threat right now. So it's something that we need to pay a lot of attention to. And it's something that the ULC is going to try to continue to lead the fight in uh, seeking to preserve the Hyde Amendment.
2: Thanks for explaining that, Josh. I, for one, actually needed an explainer internally about what the Hyde Amendment was when we were starting to plan some of our content around this. So thank you. All right, we're going to move over to Twitter. On Twitter, we shared this tweet. It's a press release. Dr. Moore calls Congress to save lives and protect American consciences by continuing the 44-year bipartisan support of the Hyde Amendment. So this tweet reached over 83,000 people. It kind of exploded. It did really well. And I wanted to share this, one, because it reiterates, again, the important life work we are doing, but also... It highlights our fabulous press team of Elizabeth Bristow and Jill Wagner, and they write these press releases and they make sure that the right people in the media are aware of some of the work we are doing. Brent, can you jump in and talk a little bit about how we engage the media and why we do that, especially on issues like this?
4: Yeah, Julie, it is obviously it's important for us to uh, not only be communicating uh, with our churches and, and just getting uh, continual feedback uh, from them, but it's also important for us to project that out to uh, the wider watching world. and. You know, just like with any organization or individual like Dr. Moore who is in the public square, uh, it, it behooves us uh, to work with uh, folks in media, uh, reporters, uh, writers, etc., to help communicate the message uh, that we have been privileged to deliver on behalf of our SBC churches. And so, uh, yeah, that is a, a continual uh, thing that we do. And the, the media team that we have with Elizabeth Bristow and Joe Wagner uh, and uh, the other parts uh, of our organization that help, uh, whether it's developing quotes uh, or, or writing things that uh, we include in our press releases, uh, it's just a very important tactic that we use to, again, communicate that broader uh, message uh, that we are uh, privileged to do as we uh, carry out our ministry assignment.
2: I do love our press team. They do a great job, and I enjoy working with them. They're fabulous. Um, On Twitter, I was very thankful to see David French quote tweeted that press release, and he said, well said, Dr. Moore and ERLC. And then our old colleague, Dan Darling, also quote tweeted it and said, thankful for the effective and faithful pro-life advocacy of the ERLC. So thank you to both of those guys for that. All right, we're going to round out this category by moving to Instagram. If I hadn't said it yet, this is my favorite platform. And if you're not following us on Instagram yet, you should be. We're on Instagram at ERLCSBC, and you can follow Russell Moore on Instagram at Russell Moore. So on Instagram this past week, we shared an Instagram story about our congressional letter so that people could read it in its entirety. And people like Brent who don't use Instagram stories might not know this, but if you see an Instagram story and you want to read the whole thing, you can actually click and hold and then it will pause the story. So FYI, for any of you who don't know how to engage with Instagram stories, that's how you do it. So you were able to read our congressional letter that was posted right there. Um, Brian C. sent us a direct message about that and said, thank you, Russell Moore. We need to take a stand for life and the unborn. Benjamin Watson was a speaker at our Evangelicals for Life conference that we had last week, and we shared one of his picture quotes, or I guess we can just call it a quote. And he said, we truly need to understand that our purpose in a pro-life movement is not necessarily only to save pre-born children, but to ultimately point people to Christ. We got lots of yeses and hand clap emojis on that one. And Megan Megan was the person who kind of let out on Evangelicals for Life, and I would love to hear what, what she has to say about that fabulous event last week.
3: I loved Benjamin Watson's talk um, amongst all the talks from EFL, from Lauren McAfee, and from Dr. Moore, and the policy panel. Um, I always love hearing from Benjamin Watson. We think of him as a football player, but he is so passionate about life, and it really is just... Um, it's just encouraging. And I feel like every time I hear him speak on life, him or his wife, there's just an urgency in his voice about how we need to act on these things.
4: And for the folks who may have missed it, uh, come for uh, the great words from Benjamin Watson. Stay for the very end to get a preview from Elizabeth Graham on kind of where our life work is going over the the next couple of years. Uh, it's just a brief little kind of TED Talk that she does at the end of our Evangelicals for Life event, and it was so good to just let folks know uh, we're now entering into an important uh, two-year time frame here, and uh, I, I would commend it highly.
2: And if you want to keep up on our life work at the ERLC, you should go to ERLC.com slash Stand for Life. You can get a little bit of a rundown of what we're doing in the life space, and then also you can become an email subscriber, and we'll keep you updated on all the important things on this issue. So the last thing I'm going to share from Instagram is we shared a video from Hunter Melton, who's a pastor in Brentwood, Tennessee, and his church partnered with a local school to help provide a food pantry for their local community. They also passed out baggies, of coloring pages, and crayons that presented the gospel, and they did this through a public school. So I thought this was a really cool story. This comes from our series of videos we've been sharing about pastors and ministry leaders and how they are serving amidst COVID in their local communities. Chad M. commented on this video and said, This guy is the real deal. Thanks for serving. I don't know Hunter Melton. But Chad M. does and said he's pretty amazing. And Brent, I'm wondering if you know him since I think you go to the same church.
4: That's right. So I could do a a whole podcast singing the praises of Hunter Melton, uh, who serves as our discipleship minister at the church at Avenue South. Uh, He is fantastic and totally want to retweet or re-gram whatever it is that uh, Chad just said here, uh, because Hunter is uh, the real deal. He is uh, just constantly uh, innovating and coming up with ways, particularly in this pandemic, to make new connections uh, for uh, for the members of uh, Avenue South. And um, yeah, we-, we need to have him on the podcast. As a matter of fact, he and his wife, who is uh, a-, a nationally known voice uh, in in christian radio uh, both of them actually need to come on and, and join us on the podcast uh, at some point but this is a great uh post that we did and i'm so glad that we highlighted uh Hunter Melton
2: now Brent do you know how to regram something
4: yeah i don't even know if regram is the word uh, but i just you know mm-hmm. go down and
2: do you know how to post an instagram story
4: you know usually what i do is i will just Take a uh, like a screenshot of something I like and and like oh. s- send it to you know my wife or send it to Josh We're like hey this this is cool.
2: So you just send something you see you send to a real person that you know in real life instead of just posting it on social media. Yeah, I approve. Actually. Well, I've
4: well I've actually learned from you. Do not take screenshots from your Instagram and then go put them on Twitter. That's that's like a that's like a social well, media no no. the
2: bigger no no that people do is they post screenshots of their tweet and post them on Instagram. Okay, and well that's, that, a that's big what no-no. I meant.
4: That's what I meant. Whatever. Okay, you know.
2: Well, so you guys about, didn't I know think-
1: this, but Julie is like the social media cop at the ERLC, <laughs> and. She- <laughs> She's constantly telling us, own it. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, what to do and not to do. One thing that is frowned upon in our organization apparently is taking your own tweet and texting it to somebody else so that they can see that you tweeted this thing. That's the it's thing something
2: do. that the dudes do. The girls don't. It do is this. something the dudes do. Yeah. Well,
4: I mean, and Julie, I would that. say, I would say, Julie is uh, instead of a social media cop, she's more like a a social media dentist. She wants us to practice good hygiene in our oh, okay. our social media use.
2: I'll own that. I'll own that. Well, that is my rundown of ERLC social media. It has been my pleasure to join you all these past few weeks and give you a little insight into the social media world of the ERLC. It can be a little messy. It can be a little bit sad and depressing at times, but it can also be really encouraging to read what people have to say to us. So thanks for letting me drop on. by, guys.
1: Well, we just want to say thanks so much to Julie for doing that because only from like a social media wizard can you hear about people's responses, including emojis like you know, clapping hands and smiley faces. So that's pretty awesome. Also, uh, Julie, you didn't know this, but we have talked about it behind the scenes. We would love for you to drop back by with us occasionally to give us these uh, looks at what's going on because, you know, our content mostly like when Lindsay's doing it, we're talking about what the ERLC is putting out there into the world. It is really cool uh, to know how people are responding to that. So we are going to hopefully make that a recurring segment on the podcast as long as you're
2: willing. Oh, well, I didn't sign up for that. But I'll consider it. Let me talk to my agent.
1: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll have I'll have my people talk to your people, and we will okay. we will work it out. So, uh, Brent, that takes us to the culture section for the week. So, tell us what's going on.
4: Yeah. So, I want to start this week with uh, a story that comes out of the UK, and these kinds of stories always fascinate me when you hear about them. Uh, but just especially in this uh, the world that we live in right now, I, I think this is uh, just. A really unique jumping off point for discussion. So from the news outlet, the Time news, uh, Times News Online, a teenager who slipped into an 11-month coma after a deadly accident woke up recently with no knowledge of the COVID-19 pandemic. Joseph Flavel was hit by a car while he was walking through Burton in Staffordshire. The incident happened on March 1st, three weeks before the coronavirus lockdown came into effect in the UK. Joseph's family members were thrilled to see his recovery this week, But now they are wondering how to explain the need for lockdowns and social distancing to him. So y'all, I have to know, how would you explain this world that we live in with masks and social distancing and uh, phased in vaccinations uh, for someone who just woke up from a, a coma?
3: I read this article, Brent. It was fascinating. I just sat back on my couch and was like, huh. Like, to think how long it took us to ramp up and get used to some of these words and, like, protocols, and suddenly this kid is having to learn it all immediately. And it even said he can't even see his family currently. They can't come to see him because of the pandemic. So imagine waking up, you can't even see your family, you just see doctors, and you're learning about this. I don't even know. What do you say? Watch this I Am Legend movie, and this is basically where we're at.
1: So props to Megan for the I Am Legend reference. Uh, This reminds me, at some point during the pandemic, we were also experiencing all of these wildfires in California, and there was this crazy picture of these fires burning, uh, and you could see it was like in the backdrop. So the picture was of the Golden Gate Bridge, and in the backdrop you could see these fires raging. And then also, like somebody said at the time, like imagine trying to explain this to people where you could see these people in this photograph who are wearing masks, and they see this these wildfires uh, near the Golden Gate Bridge, and so trying to say, hey, now the masks are actually totally a separate thing from the fire you see raging in the background. Uh, it's an insane time. So trying to introduce somebody to all of that at once, I don't, I have no idea. This is a again, the Jim Gaffigan, you're drowning and somebody throws you a baby. There's just no way to be ready for this.
2: I think you'd have to explain, okay, look, there is this virus. Most of the world thought it wasn't going to happen. Turns out it was real. Oh, and then by the way, six months in when things were really bad, there were still people who didn't think it was real. But if you went down that path, the guy's going to be more confused. So I don't know. Do you pick, which storyline do you pick? There's so many.
4: Well, the storyline that you don't pick is that all of this was caused by a space laser. We'll we'll get to that uh, later in the podcast. But anyways, I I think that those are fantastic ways uh, to to try and acclimate somebody (laughs) to this reality, but – uh, prayers for his family, uh, for uh, him and his recovery, and and just trying to explain all this to him. All right, so uh, looking actually at COVID numbers, they are improving in the U.S. Axios reported this week that new coronavirus infections slowed by nearly 16% over the past week, continuing a trend of rapid improvement. As a matter of fact, it's two weeks in a row uh, that Uh, infections have slowed by 16%, which which is really good news. That said, the U.S. still has a ton of coronavirus raging across land, and there's still the potential for dark days ahead. But, as Axios notes, this is progress, and the improvement is significant. If this trend keeps going, the country will be in a far better and safer position as vaccines continue to roll out. But, as they note in another story, We're still not out of the woods. New variants are racing across the globe, and who is spreading it here in the U.S.? They report that adults aged 20 to 49 were responsible for the vast majority of virus transmission last year, even after schools reopened in the fall, according to a new study uh, that was published in Science Magazine. The U.S. vaccination effort is racing to keep up with the spread of new, more transmissible variants of the virus. Millions more of Americans could be infected before a substantial portion of the population is vaccinated, making transmission patterns deeply relevant. So uh, obviously, there's a lot going on to this. Uh, as as we, we tend to say here, continue to take this seriously, and, uh, and hopefully we can make it through that, there was a another development last week. We told you about a new CDC report uh, that was stressing that schools should be able to reopen so long as they take protocols uh, seriously and follow them. Well, this week the CDC did it again. ABC News is reporting that the head of the Center for Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said on Wednesday it could be possible to get back to school safely without hinging the return to classrooms on vaccines. Quote, there is increasing data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that safe reopening does not suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely, uh, the CDC Director Rochelle Walensky told reporters at a briefing. The Biden administration plans to work with states and localities on ensuring schools can open safely in the U.S., by prioritizing teachers' vaccinations, enabling widespread testing, and providing additional guidance for school administrators on things like how to improve ventilation and PPE. The administration has proposed more than $170 billion for both K-12 schools and higher education institutions as part of this proposal. So there's a lot to cover there, but needless to say, we're in a current state where coronavirus numbers are on a downward trend, which is good. Uh, that said, there are new variants that are increasing across the globe, so we need to continue taking this seriously. But uh, as we have gotten in more data, it suggests that schools can reopen safely so long as they follow uh, safety protocols as laid out by the CDC and, and health experts in the various states. Uh, so taken together, we're doing better. Let's just try and get through uh, these next few weeks.
2: I was talking with Joe from the Good Book Company earlier this morning, and we were discussing COVID and the different things that are going on in each country. And he made the point that the UK is not looking very good right now because of all the different variants that they're testing for. Um, he said, but our methods for for testing are really good. And so he's like, well, that's a good thing, but it doesn't look good for us. So I just thought that was interesting. I know the UK has really been doing a lot of good things in terms of the research that is happening on the vaccines and everything related to COVID. So I thought that was an interesting discussion. But I always love chatting with Joe from the Good Book Company. He's a good friend of the organization.
4: That's right. And they are over in the UK. And I should note, I heard on a report this morning that they're actually in the top three uh, across the globe in terms of the vaccinations that they've been able to get out, which is hey, good on you, Englishmen and women.
2: Now I have to add in there. Did you guys hear? Do you remember the story about the? I think he was the 100 year old World War II vet. Early on in the in the pandemic, he was walking. Did you hear that story? He was walking and raising money for something. He got COVID and he died this week. And I was I was sad to hear that.
4: He was walking, I think it was like last March or April. He pledged to walk something like a hundred laps in in his backyard uh to raise money. And he raised a substantial amount of money for frontline healthcare workers uh in the UK. And it was revealed this week that he had tested positive for COVID. And then in the middle of the week, he, he had passed away from that. So that that was a sad note, uh, to say the least. But um, again, we got to take this seriously. All right, turning to events on Capitol Hill. On Thursday, CBS News reports the House is set to vote on a measure stripping controversial GOP Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee assignments as House Democrats seek to punish the Republican lawmaker for a litany of incendiary comments and force GOP members to either condemn or defend her. So as background in social media posts and videos made before she was elected to Congress, Green, a freshman from Georgia, embraced a slew of far-right conspiracy theories, including questioning whether deadly school shootings had been staged, Uh, A supporter of the fantastical QAnon conspiracy theory, she's also shared videos with anti-Semitic and anti-Muslim sentiment and expressed support for violence against Democratic leaders in Congress. So when I mentioned earlier space lasers, one of the things that appeared on her, her Facebook feed was this wild theory that those California wildfires that Josh had mentioned before were actually strategically started by a space laser that was owned by a jewish board member of a private company uh i mean really kind of wild out there stuff and and so um that is in addition to some of these other uh theories that that she seems to uh, be supportive of and so democrats who are in the majority in the house of representatives have uh, called for action to be taken to strip her of her new committee assignments that were given to her uh, by Republicans, which are the House Education Committee and the House Budget Committee. That vote is uh, is going to be happening soon as we record this. Yeah, Brent, honestly, it's hard to believe
1: that this is a situation that we're actually facing because what we're talking about is a person who is a member of Congress, you know, duly elected who has uh, fostered and spread some of the wildest uh, conspiracy theories imaginable. And while, you know, the reporting from yesterday says that she expressed some kind of remorse or some kind of apology for those uh, words, I think that it is, it's important that, uh, you know, at the ERLC we, we speak a lot about the need to restore trust in our institutions. And certainly that applies greatly to members of the United States Congress. And as Christians, we want to be people who are about the truth, who seek to advance the truth. And we have just seen evidence mounting like crazy. CNN just released a story yesterday that was really, really good about a woman who had her life destroyed by the QAnon conspiracy theory. And so while we're facing this situation, I think that uh, it's important for us to recognize that we should expect more from our elected officials. We should expect them to be people who have some kind of of moral seriousness uh, and that they demonstrate some kind of unwillingness to spread these kind of false and oftentimes egregious conspiracies, outright fabricated lies about our fellow Americans, uh, some of whom have suffered deep, deep tragedy and sometimes to advance things uh, as wicked as anti-Semitism. I mean, there is really... No place for that in Congress, and there's no excuse for for anyone, Republican or Democrat, to uh, embrace or to stoke that kind of that kind of misinformation or false information uh, trafficking. It makes our public disc it poisons public discourse and makes our world and our country worse, not better.
4: It will be interesting. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney said this week, you know, the Republican Party is a big tent. Uh, And so it includes a lot of people with a lot of different beliefs. But once you start kind of trafficking in some of these wild outlandish theories that, you know, frankly, dehumanize certain groups of people out there, Senator Romney was suggesting that probably needs to be outside the tent. So it'll be interesting uh, to see what actually happens procedurally with this vote, where Republicans end up landing, and, and whether all Democrats uh, will end up voting for this. It, it's uh, it's going to be a pretty fascinating thing to watch if, uh, if you follow politics. So this follows a Wednesday night vote by Republicans to keep Congresswoman Liz Cheney as the number three member of their leadership as the head of the house republican conference so cnn is reporting that they voted wednesday night that cheney should keep her post uh and After she defended her support for impeachment as a vote of conscience during a contentious closed-door GOP conference meeting, the secret ballot vote took place after some Republicans argued that Cheney should be removed from leadership following her support for impeaching then-President Donald Trump for inciting an insurrection at the Capitol. In the end, however, Cheney prevailed by a wide margin. The vote was 145 votes to keep her in her position as House Republican Conference Chair and 61 to remove her. Look, whatever you think about uh, the way uh, that Congresswoman Cheney voted, uh, to me, uh, the fact that she is saying, no, this was a vote of conscience uh, and nine other uh, Republican members of the House voted with her that i think says something and the fact that she now got 145 votes a, a majority uh, a, a strong majority of her conference to support her is uh, you know just interesting in light of all the other votes that republicans uh, are taking Speaking of interesting developments, so uh, this was an interesting week in SBC life. This was not a normal week for us at the RLC. Uh, We mentioned several months ago that there was a committee looking into the work that we do as an organization. As we mentioned at the time, we weren't afraid of the report that would eventually become uh, because we stand behind the, the work that we do on behalf of Southern Baptists. Uh, we've never claimed to be a, a perfect organization. But we do stand behind all that we do, and it is an honor uh, to serve Southern Baptists uh, at the ERLC. So we're not really going to go into the details of the of the findings here, but we will read you a statement from our chairman of our board of trustees. His name is uh, Dr. David Prince. He's a pastor in Kentucky, and he said this. I think Southern Baptists can see this report for exactly what it is and are ready to move on from this moment and focus on our mission together. The RLC has served Southern Baptists faithfully during a time of political, cultural, and in some cases, denominational chaos. Much of this chaos remains with us, including widespread news of many of our Black and Brown brothers and sisters leaving the SBC. That should be alarming to all of us. Uh, So, As we said, the the report is available online and and you can read it, make your own judgments about it. But just let us say we agree with Chairman Prince. Uh, We think people can see the report for what it is. And truthfully, that has become even more clear in the days since the report was released. It it was released on Monday. We are so thankful and appreciative uh, for the support that folks uh, have sent to us or messaged us uh, online. And we would, of course, welcome your prayers um, as as this just kind of continues to, to work its way through uh, kind of denominational uh, procedures. But the biggest thing that is on our minds is the work that we've been called to do. And let me just say again, it's it's an honor uh, to serve Southern Baptists uh, in culture, uh, in courtrooms, and, and on Capitol Hill. Uh, and this is a really important time for us uh, to be focused on that work.
2: You know, there are several of us on staff at the ERLC that are thankful that we get to engage with people who contact us. So if you are someone who has a question for us, we are accessible in multiple formats. You can contact us at info at ERLC.com. My team personally responds to the many direct messages that we get. Um, We've got a couple of people who answer phone calls. And so we welcome any any questions you have, and we're happy to answer those questions and engage with you that way.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said, both from from Julie and Brent. Look, it is an honor to serve Southern Baptists. All of us are Southern Baptists. We're proud of our denomination, and also, also we're proud to work at the URLC Sea and, and of the work that we do. And so uh, we also know, we hear from you guys who listen to the podcast all the time, and you're incredibly supportive of the work that we do. And we are so grateful for that. So I just want to echo what Brent said there and to say, you know, thank you. We're we're going to continue to be focused on the good work that we are doing, because honestly, it's a really important time for us to stay focused and keep our heads in the game. And that's where they are. All
4: right. So not only was it an important week for the ERLC, but it was an important week Uh, for a few of our Baptist State Convention partners. So according to Baptist Press, in Indiana, Steve McNeil has announced his retirement as executive director for the State Convention of Baptists in Indiana, and that will be effective on June 30th. And then in Texas, a search committee has put forth the name of Nathan Lorick to be the new SBTC executive director in Texas. I've had the opportunity to meet Steve McNeil several times. He does great work for Baptists in Indiana, and Nathan Lorick. He's currently serving as uh, the state executive in Colorado. He's originally from Texas, and he's been doing great work uh, for the last couple years in Colorado. And so, if this is something that gets uh, voted on, it's uh, or affirmed, I should say, in a vote, uh, it's obviously a, a great pick up for Baptists in in Texas. Uh, so obviously some some major developments happening uh, this week.
1: Yeah, we'll just um, say congratulations to uh, Stephen Neal on his retirement, and man, maybe a huge congratulations also to Baptists in Texas if they are able to uh, lock down Nathan Lorick, who is really one of the best. I mean, he's one of the best among us in terms of Southern Baptist leaders, and this is just an incredibly exciting move for him. And also, you know, he's done such great work in Colorado that I'm sure that that association or or that convention is set up to bring in someone else to continue on in that Path and, and stewardship. And so, in some ways, it's a really exciting time uh, for some things happening in SBC
4: life. Okay, well, moving on to some uh, lighter fare. Uh, ABC 11 News, a local affiliate of ABC, uh, it reports this if you did not get a good night's sleep, you are not alone. Google says searches about strange dreams, sleep, and insomnia are at an all-time high. Many people have reported having stranger dreams than they had before the COVID-19 lockdowns began. Uh, They recommend in the article, in order to help get a better night's rest, doctors recommend you start winding down as soon as the sun starts to set, make your bedroom a sleep sanctuary, and keep your room cool and pitch black and avoid working in bed. Well, as someone with uh, three little ones running around the house, I I think I begin my bedtime routine at about 5 p.m. anyways. Uh, So (laughs) uh, I haven't had some of these strange dreams, but we have talked about this before where people are reporting like the most bizarre dreams uh, while COVID has been with us.
2: I've had some weird ones, but... I feel like I need to share a trick with you guys that I've been trying out the past week to help me sleep. And you're probably going to laugh, but I'm really, really, really bad at math. But I have found that math has helped me sleep lately. This is what I'm doing. I do 2 plus 2 is 4. 4 plus 4 is 8. 8 plus 8 is 16. And I do that. And once I get too high, like in the triple digits, my brain shuts off. It's like my brain says, oh, you don't know how to do math. You can go to sleep. So one night I thought I would do a harder version, and I did three times three is nine, nine times nine, and then I quit because I couldn't figure it out. So I would just like to give that as a recommendation. If you can't sleep, try math. If you're bad at math, it will help your brain shut off.
3: Julie, that is fascinating. I've never heard of anybody doing that. That takes counting sheep, I think, to a new level. But I have to confess that I actually woke up this morning from a dream, a very stressful dream about the podcast recording today. And I don't remember all the details, but I woke up and I knew I had been dreaming about how the podcast was going to happen, all the logistics, the recording, the setup, all of it. So... I do have stressful dreams. I've had friends, even in the last week, tell me some of the most bizarre dreams. Um, So this article was fascinating. And to know it's not just me, it's not just my friends. It's happening everywhere.
2: Everywhere. It's true. It makes
1: me feel a little better because I was one of those people telling Megan about my crazy dreams.
2: There have been some crazy coworker dreams too. Like, just having dreams with coworkers, and um, one of them was two people were in Switzerland playing handbells. It's just crazy. So the things we dream, I don't get so it. So wait,
4: were, were these two of our coworkers who dreamed about handbells in Switzerland?
2: Yes. Chelsea, who will be on here later, had a dream that two of us were in Switzerland playing handbells Okay, with her. Oh.
1: All right. Please remind me to uh, <laughs> to take that up in conversation. That's much more pleasant than my dream, though. Even though handbells are maybe not something that will survive the eschaton. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, right. I used well, to play handbells in real life. Just so you know, I was on gotcha. the handbell church choir.
4: All right. Well, by the way, uh, Julie, nine times nine is eighty one. So there, there you well,
2: go. Well, I was stumped.
4: Okay, well, this this last section, it is it actually is for you, Julie Masson. has nothing to do with math. It has everything to do with Super Bowl Sunday, which is coming up uh, that's right, this it coming is. Sunday. So NBC News uh, reports, or NBC Sports reports, that 25,000 actual fans will be allowed in the stands for the Super Bowl that's taking place in Tampa Bay, along with 30,000 cardboard cutouts just to try and make it look like a little bit more of a full stadium uh, as the Kansas city chiefs and Julie's Kansas city chiefs and the Tampa That's Bay right. Buccaneers uh, face off in Super Bowl 55. It kicks off on February 7th at approximately 6 30 PM Eastern time. And uh, it's, it, I, I'm hoping for a good game. I, I do. I do kind of want, uh to see a Patrick Mahomes uh victory. So let's just go around the horn here real quick. Who you got, Josh? Uh who do you want to win? What's your final score prediction?
1: Yeah, man, I gotta tell you, I think that watching Patrick Mahomes is super fun and that it is really an interesting story to watch basically two superstars, but one who was, you know, in diapers when the other was winning Super Bowls. Uh I don't know. I- I'm interested to see this, you know, old versus young thing match up and i i want to i want to root against tom brady because that's just what i want to do but I, i'll enjoy the game either way okay so what's your final score prediction bro i've got nothing i'll say 42 to 36 who
2: chiefs
4: chiefs okay, come on there that's we go. right. all right all right megan who you got
2: um I
3: was trying to base this off some data, and now I'm put on the spot here. Um, I think I'm not going with the Chiefs. Sorry, Julie. My real question about this article and about the cutouts is that do we think – did it tell if the cutouts or whoever is – do you get to pay for that? Do you have to pay the same price to have your cutout in the stand as an actual Super Bowl ticket? Because I'm looking up the price of Super Bowl tickets historically, and if you have to pay like $4,000 for a cutout to not even be there,
2: whoa. Wait, so people are paying for those car- cardboard
3: cutouts? I thought they were just being placed there. That's what you can do at other sporting events. Uh, currently Who would pay for that? Bas- yeah, you can pay to have about your this. face like at every Tennessee Vols basketball game.
2: Okay, well, what I want to know about the cardboard cutouts are... Or is there going to be one section of the stadium that's cardboard cutouts and one section real? Or is it going to be one real no, it's person? Going to be,
4: it's going to be like, interspersed. It's going to be okay. interspersed throughout the stadium to encourage social distancing from the for the live fans that are actually showing okay, up. Okay,
2: that makes so sense. So y'all have absolutely
4: smart. derailed uh, my, Sorry. my kind of going around the horn here. So I've Megan, we,
2: predictions. Don't,
4: we don't actually have a, a score from you. So we'll, we'll let you think about that for a minute. Julie, what what is your score prediction?
2: Chiefs thirty-two, Bucks fourteen. Nice.
4: Okay, I've got Chiefs forty-two, and Tom Brady and the Buccaneers get seventeen. That's what I've got. So I, I, I feel like, I feel like uh, Tom Brady. This will be his final humiliation, and to disappoint Dean and Sarah out there, I think Tom Brady will retire after the game.
2: I'm, I'm on board with that. I can get behind that for sure.
4: So sorry to offend our loyal listener, Dean and Sarah, out of Tallahassee, Florida, but I think this is the end of the Tom Brady era. Agreed. All right, Megan, what's your final score prediction?
3: Okay, I'm going with the Bucks, and I'm going 42 to 35.
4: Amazing. Wow. Going Megan, against the grain right there. have you ever
3: seen Patrick Mahomes play? They're at home. Come on. I, I just think they have some advantages going on here. Mm, I think you're wrong. We shall see.
4: If the Bucks win, they would actually go from worst to first because they were the worst team in the NFL last year. So that, that actually would be, that would be a An underdog
2: so, story. And if you're not first, right. you're oh, last.
4: There you go. All right. Well, this, uh, this segment has, uh, has gone way too long. And so I apologize. But uh, Megan, Julie, Josh, that's your look at this week in culture. So
1: now we're about to talk to probably the most frequent guest star of the ERLC podcast, uh, Chelsea Sobolik from our DC office. Chelsea is one of our policy directors and she's also just kind of the she's kind of the person, the go-to person for all things pro-life happening in our dc office and in terms of pro-life policy and so we wanted to talk to chelsea today just to get an update because there have been a tremendous amount of things with uh an incoming a new administration incoming uh in the first several days plus the march for life there's a lot to talk about so we wanted to get an update from chelsea on what's going on in the pro-life world so chelsea they already know who you are they know what you do we've heard we've talked to your husband we've like you know we have really gotten to know you pretty well across the uh the podcast. And so to start with, we'll just jump in and talk about the March for Life. Because of COVID, this year, everything is different, including the March for Life. It was actually virtual. And a lot of people are going to say, what even is a virtual March? Uh, which I get. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people show up in D.C. every year to do the March for Life. And this year, we didn't get to do that. But you guys in our D.C. office actually did get to participate in what I called a mini-march. And so would you tell us a little bit about that? J.D. Greer was there. Tell us what that was like. And just you know, give us a rundown.
0: Yeah, Josh, like you said, um, the March for Life this year was virtual, um, For the first time since 1974, when the March for Life began right after uh, the Roe versus Wade decision, the March for Life was much different uh, this year due to security concerns and COVID. So uh, the the March for Life organization encouraged folks to march virtually, which essentially meant please don't come to Washington, Uh, you know, march um, locally with your communities um, outside, masked up, socially distanced. Safely, but don't don't come to Washington DC. However, there was a um, very small march in Washington DC. Uh, with you some, know, like a mini march, like a mini march, <laughs> uh, just like it. Um, so it was small. It was probably less than a hundred folks outside, masked, socially distanced. But uh, like you said, the Southern Baptist Convention president, J.D. Greer, was there. So we got to, to chat with him and catch up with him. Um, Benjamin Watson, who was uh, one of our presenters at the our recent EFL conference, was also there. So we got to, to see him. And Ben is a big guy, and I felt quite small walking next to it to him in the march but no it was great we walked up to the supreme court and because of the barriers in washington right now we were not able to go to the front of the supreme court it's fenced off um so we walked to the back of the supreme court and uh they had handed out roses and we laid those roses at the back of the supreme court in honor of the or in remembrance of the the lives lost to abortion.
2: Chelsea, I think anybody standing next to Benjamin Watson is going to look and feel small. So Tiny. <laughs> I just wanted to, <laughs> big I just wanted to validate you. <laughs> He's a big guy. <laughs> I love seeing the pictures of, um, I think it was J.D. Greer who had the rose and laid it mm-hmm. there. I think that was a really cool moment and a really neat gesture that they did.
3: Last week, we saw that the president rescinded the Mexico City policy. Tell us what that is and why it matters.
0: Yeah, so this particular policy is kind of like a a policy football, if you will, uh, between administrations. So um, this policy um, prevents American taxpayer dollars from subsidizing abortion abroad, so it won't go to... NGOs that uh, promote or provide abortion. Um, it was expanded by the Trump administration um, to be a little bit broader than it's been in years past. But again, it's used as a political football. So uh, President Clinton rescinded it, uh, President Bush um, reinstated it, and it's gone back and forth since then. So the URLC has advocated uh, for this life-saving policy, and we obviously
2: strongly object to its uh, rescission. Chelsea, can you talk to us about the future of the Hyde Amendment? I know there's a lot of uncertainty about it in the future, and we would just love to hear what you guys are thinking, what you're seeing, what do you think um, we're going to need to be active on from our perspective. Fill us in on that.
0: Yeah, so quick refresher, the Hyde Amendment is an amendment that was introduced over 40 years ago by then-Congressman Henry Hyde um, to prevent American taxpayer dollars from funding abortion. So the Mexico City uh, policy prevents uh, taxpayer dollars from funding abortion abroad, and the Hyde Amendment uh, protects American taxpayer dollars from funding abortion domestically. So this amendment has enjoyed wide bipartisan support for over 40 years. And it's um, a rider, which means um, it is not the law of the land. It has to be reattached to the uh, uh, appropriations process, each Congress. And again, it's been attached each Congress for 44 years and been enjoyed that that bipartisan support um, in 2016. The Democratic platform included a desire to repeal this policy, and President Biden actually flipped on on the policy uh leading up to um his election as president so for a long time he had been a supporter of this this pro-life um, amendment and he he flipped on that so there is a lot of worry that the Hyde amendment will be uh, rescinded and American taxpayer dollars will go to fund abortion and you know one of the important things to know is regardless of someone's view on abortion we should all be able to agree that our taxpayers Dollars should not go to fund it. Uh, So, this week, Dr. Moore sent congressional leadership a letter urging them to include the Hyde Amendment and a few other uh, key pro life writers in the upcoming appropriations process.
2: Okay, that's a really helpful explanation. Actually, you raised a point that I don't think I realized I didn't understand. And my social media, like I've been guest hosting on this podcast, and I've been talking about what the ERL sees, what we're presenting on social media. And so you gave me an idea, Chelsea. I want to somehow figure out a way to create a graphic that demonstrates the difference between what the Hyde Amendment is and what the Mexico City policy is and, and how they don't fund different kinds of abortion. So let me make sure I understand. The Mexico City policy allows taxpayer dollars to fund international abortions and the hyde amendment prevents american tax dollars from funding abortions is that correct or did so i super that? city yeah you it, yeah yeah the mexico city it, okay. policy
0: prevents american taxpayer dollars from funding See, this abortions. is
2: why we need an infographic to put on our social media panels i'll there try to get go. working on that but so that was super helpful chelsea
3: Thank you. Yeah, Chelsea, that's super helpful. I always love you're able to condense something that is sometimes not my world at all into something that I can understand. And I really appreciate that. So what else are we watching right now in the pro-life front policy, um, et cetera?
0: Yeah, so I mentioned that Dr. Moore had sent a letter to congressional leadership um, talking about Hyde. He also highlighted um, a number of other uh, important pro-life writers. Hyde is probably the most well-known writer amendment that that most folks know about. But there's a couple of other uh, really important ones, and you know we would argue that they're all important and all ought to be protected. Uh, we have an article on our website right now highlighting five, uh, but just to briefly kind of go over a couple more that folks might not be quite as aware of. Uh, there's an amendment called the Dornan Amendment which is basically Hyde Amendment protections for the District of Columbia. So the Hyde Amendment prevents federal taxpayer dollars from funding abortion, and D.C. is not a state. So the Dornan Amendment pro- provides Hyde protections here in the district. Um, and then there's a very important amendment called the Weldon Amendment, which protects the consciences of healthcare workers, Um by ensuring that they don't have to uh, participate in abortions or refer for abortions. And that amendment has gotten um, caught up in some court cases and whatnot, but it's a very important amendment. And then there's a couple of others. The Helms Amendment is actually the oldest pro-life rider, and it's it's very similar to the Mexico City policy. And then there's uh, two others. Uh, I'll just briefly go over them. The Sill Amendment and then the Kemp-Caston Amendment. So those are just five of many, many because there are 12 appropriations, bills, funding, different areas of our government, and uh, each bill has, has different things in it that we watch as far as life is concerned. So if folks are interested in learning more about those writers, they can go to our website.
3: And I'll make a small plug here, Chelsea, for our EFL event that was last week. You um, were on a panel with Travis Wusso from DC as well. And you guys um, did a panel with two other people who work in this space. And it was super informative for me and just talking about the good, the bad, and honestly, just a lot of ways that we can be praying for leadership and people in government about these pro-life policies. So if you want to learn more about that, check out our EFL from last week.
2: And you can find the replay for that on the ERLC YouTube channel. And you can also find that on our ERLC social channels, which we have talked about several times on here. And they'll also be in the show notes. Um, Chelsea, I'm going to ask you one last question. Earlier in the podcast, we were discussing how people are having weird dreams um, in the stressful time of COVID. And I remembered that you had told me about a weird dream you had. With coworkers, and I was just going to ask you about that because I just remember that you had one with handbells, I did. And coworkers, <laughs> do you want to share about that? Ah, uh, do you remember I, it?
0: I, yeah. Oh, I remember it. So yes, I've had <laughs> so many weird dreams, and sometimes I wake up and think, how, where did that come from? And one of those, a couple months ago, I texted you, Julie, um, because you were in it. And it was uh, you and Brent, um, and I forgot who else. I- I'm sure there was a few other people, but you two in particular. Uh, we had gone overseas, I can't remember exactly where, to participate. was it in-
2: Switzerland or something? It may have been. Maybe it was we just Europe. We
0: participated in a handbell competition as adults Handbells. in our lives. Yes. And <laughs> I, who knows where it came from. Uh, fun little factoid about myself. Growing up, I did play handballs. I did so too, maybe, Chelsea. Yes, maybe, maybe my brain accessed it somehow <laughs> while I was sleeping, and you know, you and Brent seem like the the type of people who I would travel we'll to Switzerland handbells. and play, or Scotland <laughs> and play handballs together. So that was my weird dream, one of many.
2: But oh, that's that funny. Was one of them. I remember having a stressful week um, in the midst of the pandemic the past year that I had with Chelsea, and Chelsea and I were in Washington, D.C., and there was a march or something happening, and we saw something sketchy happening, and we were running away, and this person was trying to get us, and I guess I was feeling motherly towards Chelsea, and I grabbed her by the arm, and I shoved (laughs) her behind my back, and I said, go away, and I don't know what was up with that dream, but (laughs) (laughs) I was protective of my friend. In her city, that she knows better. Chelsea, I'm sure working in a pandemic. Yeah. I'm sure working in a pandemic in Washington, D.C., during a pandemic, doing the work that you guys do has been stressful. So I'm sure you've had plenty of stressful dreams, and I'm sorry for those, even though, you know, I didn't start the pandemic. Well, some are really funny, though.
1: Well, Chelsea, we just want to say thanks so much for taking the time to join us, especially for this last bit on the dreams, because I have been one of those people who has experienced both the strange and the pretty awful uh, dreams during the pandemic. And um, I'll save most of those for another time. But seriously, we are so grateful for you and our DC colleagues and all the work you're doing. Uh, The pro life movement and the cause of life is right at the center of what we do at the URLC. And you guys are there on the front lines contending for human dignity, really, so that we can save children's lives and so we are so grateful for you and for the work that you do and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today
0: well thank you and i look forward to the next time i am on
1: so now it's time for the lunchroom where every week we tell you about the things that we've been talking about with one another it's been a stem winder of an episode so i'm going to go ahead and kick us off and go first here comes mine which is guys screech died and i gotta tell you It's overwhelming to me, mostly because it just hits me right in my Saved by the Bell feels. Like I'm just thinking about, you know, my childhood was defined by Zach Morris and how cool he was, and AC Slater and his muscles. Uh, Screech died, very sad. He's only 44 years old, and so it's just been kind of a kind of a throw you off kilter kind of thing to see somebody who was like, you know, didn't think that that was that much older than me, and as a kid was in one of the most popular shows on television and. What a sad thing. So, very sad, and definitely going to watch him stay by the bell in memoriam. <laughs> Julie, you look like you're ready. What's, what's on your mind?
2: Okay, this is a really random thing that I'm bringing to the table, um, but I have food on on my brain. We have tried something new this year that I highly recommend for any parents with kids— is we do appetizers on Friday nights. In this world of COVID where, you know, we're trying to not hang out with people and not really go out to eat, we have been going to Costco once a month and we get some fun appetizers and we throw them in our freezer. And every Friday night, we pick a movie, we pull out some appetizers and we have an assortment of appetizers to eat. And that's our fun Friday night thing. And it's been great because we have fun food to look forward to. We're not going out. Honestly, it probably saves us money and the kids look forward to it. It's it's a great plan. So I highly recommend Costco appetizers on Friday night with your family. Easy peasy planning. I love that idea,
3: Julie. I love to just like it's like a party, you just graze on food. Um, so that's super fun to plan it that way. I love like bite-sized mini food. If people know me, I love miniature things. So <laughs> appetizers are miniature and awesome.
4: <laughs> and remember the days where you actually could spend a Friday night just perusing around Costco and getting all the appetizers that you wanted oh, to. Oh, that's
3: a good idea, Julie. You should set it up in multiple areas of your house and like pretend you're at Costco, getting samples.
2: <laughs> that's a great idea.
4: <laughs> yeah, but the, <laughs> the thing idea. is is I don't I don't think that's ever coming back. I think the pandemic you killed know, that.
2: We were there this week getting our February appetizers, and I felt really bad for the people at the stands because they have the stand with the glass thing. And he just stood there and recited what was great about that product that he was offering that you couldn't try. It was pretty sad.
1: Megan, you're up next. Tell us what's on your mind.
2: Okay,
3: I have a question for everybody Who has done a a true cross country road trip? Definitely not me. Nobody? I've been up and
1: down the East Coast but I have not been across country.
3: Like across, like, yeah, ocean to ocean. Yeah, I've been from Tennessee to New Mexico and Arizona multiple times, like in a car or in a van. Down by the river. Yeah, shout out to my parents for forcing us at a young age to get in the car and drive cross country. Anyways, I guess my dad did that growing up. lived in California and would travel back to North Carolina, but there's an article this week And the best ways to drive cross country. So, if you've ever done it, I recommend actually planning it because I've been on some boring ones where you just feel like you're in Texas or Oklahoma forever. But there's some really cool stops along the way. But none of you guys seem to be really jazzed about a
2: road trip. I would rather fly if I can. But we did take a lot of road trips as children, but not. Entirely across the country. I mean, we would drive from Iowa to Virginia in one stint. So this That's article halfway. highlights
3: this article highlights a lot of the fun things you can see. Like, you would not be able to see them if you took a plane from Tennessee to New Mexico, for instance. You would totally miss Cadillac Ranch, which none of you have been to, which is so fun. Or the Wigwam Motel or all kinds of things. Sounds like a car's
4: Megan, movie. Megan, no, I'm I'm totally with you. Uh I love road trips as a matter of fact. I've always thought that uh if I ever wanted to change professions, I would have made a fantastic over the road truck driver. Like I would love to own an 18 wheeler. Like that that actually may be a life goal someday is just to actually own one. I'm not I'm not really sure what I would do with it. Maybe just drive it around town a little bit. But uh yeah, no, road trips. They're the way to go.
3: You can see so much more. There's so many different routes so you can take from shore to shore. Josh, if you've been up and down the East Coast, I want to go up and down the West Coast. I think that would be amazing. So anyways, I'm going to link the article in the show notes for anybody who would love a road trip because this is a great article.
1: No, I think that's a great idea, Megan, because we had some friends who early in the pandemic, they uh, flew to the West Coast and drove, I think, from like Washington down to California and flew back uh, from somewhere in Southern California, if I have that right. But road tripping is like an American pastime. The problem for me is that I absolutely hate driving. I don't mind doing it when I'm you know, in the car with a bunch of people and it's very social and we can hang out and talk and, and do it. But me by myself, it is sheer misery unless I have the right audiobooks at the ready. Now, if I do, I'm in pretty good shape. But otherwise, yeah, I, I find driving to be in, incredibly tedious.
3: Well, this article links. Also, music you should listen to, playlists, audiobooks. Also, good food stops. We love good food along the way. And you have to take friends. That's what makes a road trip. So, anyways.
2: I think you've got your honeymoon planned then. Sounds like you're planning that honeymoon, (laughs) Megan.
4: All right. So- uh, this one is is mine, and it kind of picks up on a little bit of a theme that that Julie had. Well, it's the Super Bowl. what Super Bowl party would be complete without talking about Super Bowl food? And so I found uh, one of these Google trends maps that looks at the the food that you know various folks in in different states are searching. So okay, as I look at this map, uh, let's just take, some of the states around us. Julie, you are in Missouri, so you get to go first. What do you suppose is the top searched superfood or superfood, super, super Bowl food? food. <laughs> super Bowl food mm, from folks in Missouri.
2: Maybe wings or artichoke dip possibly. I'm really not sure.
4: That that's close. If you probably brought those together, you would hit it. Buffalo chicken dip. Wow, I was really close. You were really close. All right, Josh. yes on
1: the chicken dip. Big yes yes, on the buffalo chicken dip.
4: Josh, what do you say for your home state of North Carolina? What is the most common? Yeah, what what do you think is the most uh, Googled in uh, North Carolina? You
1: know, I honestly don't know. I'm afraid it's going to be something embarrassing like rice or whatever that thing was for Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's
4: right. It's an appetizer.
1: Hopefully it's like nachos or something. Mm. Pigs in a blanket. Pigs in a blanket. That's that's not pigs that surprising. Bl- Although I got to tell you, I think pigs in a blanket are overrated. I'm very pro Julie's appetizer like Friday night plan.
4: I think appetizers are great. This pigs in a blanket are they just don't do it for me. Gotcha, Megan. In our home state of Tennessee, the number one search. Well, do you want to guess?
3: I was going to say uh, it's got to be something simple like cheese dip or Velveeta or something like that. Chili. Chili.
4: Chili. I wouldn't oh, have guessed chili either. But here's a couple that stood out to me. In Minnesota, the best they could come up with is chex mix. Seriously, Minnesota? What like, is the is the cold weather getting to y'all up there? Like, let's let's actually introduce some real like Super Bowl food. And then, not too far from there, over in Montana, I want to just say, what, what would y'all guess the number one search for Super Bowl food is in Montana? This totally Something blew to my do mind. With
2: bison. I was going to say, I hope the answer is
4: steak. Bison, steak, ribs.
2: Meatballs, Uh, maybe meatballs.
4: It's keto egg bites. Come on, y'all. I
2: did not see that coming from Montana. What is happening?
4: Up in Montana.
1: Montana. I'm gonna Mercy. give my Montanan friends uh I don't have any idea how you say it, a person who's a native of Montana, but in any case, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they already know how to cook food. So maybe it is like the seven people on the keto diet who looked this up, <laughs> but everybody else was just already ready to go.
4: There you That's go. Amazing. Exactly. That 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 might be what it is. So, anyways, we'll we'll link for this in the show notes, but it's a it's always, you know, a, a really interesting map and a good conversation starter. So that's uh, that's what I was bringing to uh, the virtual lunchroom this week, y'all.
2: I'm really hungry now.
4: All right, guys. Well, we
1: want to say thanks so much uh, for listening. This is going to do it for this episode, but we are really, really grateful, as we mentioned earlier, for your support, for listening to the show every week. If you want to support the podcast, you can help spread the word by sharing this episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. I want to say thanks so much to everyone who has done that just in these last couple of weeks. It has been really encouraging and it really does help more people discover the show. But for Brent and Julie and Megan and myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back next week with more content.